Hi, it's Ethan Hayter and you're listening to QuickLink Podcast. Hello and welcome to QuickLink Podcast on Friday the 17th of December. Coming up now we have a special interview with double Paralympic gold medalist Ben Watson who won gold in the C3 category road and time trial in Tokyo this summer. The interview is conducted with Anna, and we've got links to both of their social media profiles in our show notes, as well as Pace Rehab, which Ben brings up later in the show. We'll be back tomorrow with the news from the Cyclocross World Cup in Rukfen. Here's the interview. Take care. You're listening to Anna, and I'm talking to the lovely Ben Watson, the double Olympic gold medalist. Hi, Ben. Hi, guys. Hi. You all right? Yeah, I'm not bad. Um, right. So let's start with, let's take you back five years to 2016. Things were a little bit different for you then. What was your life like like then? Well, it was very different. So in the years preceding that, I was actually a qualified charter surveyor. So I was an industrial agent uh, working in Manchester, covering the Northwest. So effectively working for a large American real estate firm, buying and selling big distribution warehouses. So that was my job for three or four years up until 2018 when I went full time on the bike. With sort of an 18-month transition period, um, sort of getting progressively from doing nothing to going part-time to then actually having the opportunity to give up my day job and become a professional athlete. What inspired and you to make that change? Um, what inspired me to give that change? So I've always been into cycling. Uh, Paris cycling wasn't something I considered. I came to it quite late. So I think I did my talent ID when 2016, so I'd have been 27 and when I did my talent ID day. Uh, I'd always ridden a bike. I've done a bit of racing, race mountain bikes, done a lot of 12-hour and 24-hour pairs, racing, racing as fours, raced a couple of crits and a couple of time trials, never taken it particularly seriously. Um, and I suppose for me, the, the motivation was the opportunity and also the fact that I've, quite, like, let's be honest about it, I was, I was, I was doing quite well after, after very little. I think that's something that being, people are quite, pretty, can be quite scared of saying. But actually, I think it's, it's a key point. Like, you're not going to give me motive to do something if you're either you don't, I love it, and I was quite good at it. So it was, it was a good motivation. It was a hard thing to do, though, to give up my job. But it was a quite like looking back in hindsight, oh, it's quite easy. Like, oh, I gave up my job, went full time on the bike. It's your dream. However, at the time, you've got all these sort of adult considerations. I just bought a house. My career was taking off. But my career was definitely starting to accelerate. And then this opportunity came in from, from the, as a bit of a curveball, really. And actually, the guys at work were really, really helpful. Like my boss, my team, and like the boss of the office and a couple of the other senior members of staff there were like, well, Ben, you've got this opportunity. You've got to go and take it. Like if you, if it all goes wrong, we can give, we'll, we'll give you a job back basically. So just even having that conversation, it's as silly as that, that yeah. made a huge difference. Because I was yeah. thinking about skipping a bit, bit of part, actually going working officially part-time. So in like two or three days a week and then training. But actually the guy was like, you've got to, you've got this one, you've got the shot, you've got to go and take it, grasp it with both hands. Yeah, I mean, you've said there that um, it was going quite well for you. I mean, in your debut at the uh, Para Cycling World Championships at South Africa, I mean, that went well, quite well, didn't it? Yeah, I got a silver medal. So in 2017, so just if we rerun a little bit early in that season, I did, first did my talent ID day in October 2016. Uh, so I was about 88, 90 kilos. Um, so I was pretty fat. I was eating and drinking quite a lot, living like a bit of a party lifestyle. I'm riding a bike as well. Um, and sort of that, the te- power testing on that day actually got me through to the foundation, uh, which is sort of like the academy for para, so to speak. 
uh, and we're taking as the academy in May 2017 to a World Cup in Belgium to get internationally classified. So I don't know if a couple of your the, re, the listeners of the podcast. So obviously Paris Cycling specific classifications, but to race internationally, you have to be internationally classified by the UCI. So the UCI, <clears throat> the UCI have to classify you at a World Cup or World Championships. So we're all taken to a, uh, a World Cup in, in Ostend in Belgium in 2017. And um, yeah, so we end up taking that. I got classified, international classified as a C3. Um, I actually met Finn Graham, I think you've had on the podcast a couple of times. And he was actually my roommate. So uh, that's the first time we met. Uh, I've met quite a lot of times since then. And yeah, I ended up coming fifth in the road race, sixth in the TT in my in my first, uh, first World Cup. So I then self-funded myself to a World Cup on my own. Uh, so I paid myself to go out there uh, to Emmen in uh, Holland in 20, like in July that year. I won a bronze in the TT, uh, and that ended up getting me uh, obviously selected as you said for the world champs in 2017, where I, in South Africa I won a silver medal. That got me select, That got me a fully funded position on the squad on a on a, on a podium funding on B funding, uh, and that in turn gave me the money that I needed to be able to give up my job. So thanks to the lottery and sort of UK Sport for bringing that sort of funding in. That allowed me to give up my job at the start of 2018 and go full time. Nice. Um, so you're doing quite well, but the World Championships in Portugal in June uh, June 2021. It didn't go exactly to plan there, though, did it? No, the slight tiggly to plan. So I ended up uh, four days out. So on the Sunday, TT was on on the Thursday. I was out training, descending, and I decided to crash into a house at 40 miles an hour. Which uh, isn't the best thing. Usually, I'm a pretty, pretty, ha- pretty capable on a bike, and just come down the down the hill. Didn't see a pothole in the uh, ro- in the road. Hand slipped off the bars. It basically just flipped me into the side of a house. So uh, yeah, not the best thing to do for the key sort of like world. Well, the key Paralympics qualifier really in in everybody's view. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I crashed. I had some stitches in my groin. I had some stitches in my knee. Took all the skin off my arms and back. Um, I wasn't in a very good place, but yeah, all thanks to sort of the medics and the physios at, at BC, I did get on the bike, um, and then ended up going fourth in the world, which <clears throat> at the time I was pretty distraught about. I was really upset. I thought, George, oh, you know what? If I if I got a podium, I'm definitely on the plane to Tokyo. Um, I think I'll I'll bugger it effectively. Um, got fourth place, but I think actually that probably showed quite good strength of character. So I was get off the bike, get back on the bike and race and equip myself fairly well. Uh, still top GB rider. Um, yeah, I was fourth. I was like 20 seconds off um, off the podium, which was quite frustrated about. But yeah, in hindsight, hindsight's an easy thing, isn't it? But I was, I was actually happy with that performance. I did basically give everything I could have given on that day. Uh, could have done no more. So yeah, it wasn't the best. And the road race itself is quite negative. Uh, and that doesn't suit me as a rider. I'm not particularly sprinty or punchy so i like things that are hard and nutritional uh just yeah rolled in 11th place something so not very well acquitted yeah so you said that that crash has made you made you well even though you were quite well um once you'd got back on your bike and you said it made you doubt whether you'd get selected for tokyo from that so did you have quite a good support nick were around you to sort of help you cope with that stress to whether you would or would not get selected yeah, very much so. Like I've got good family, friends, girlfriend. I've got a psychologist talk to you quite a lot as well. And that's been a big, big gain for me this year. Actually talking to her, it's been really good. Uh, I think just be more open and honest with people as well. You can be open and honest with certain people and you can't be open and honest with other people. It's a time and place to be vulnerable in my view and it's a time and place not to be vulnerable. 
Um, and actually understanding that and understanding where you sit in those relationships for me is really key. Um, so yeah, I have got a very good support base. And they were like, they were basically the same thing, like you're in great shape. You've had a really, really good three or four years. Like we know the, this is what they're saying to me, like take a course suits you. Like, yeah, actually you've got fourth place after, to be honest, you're pretty, pretty broken and bruised. The fact you're still racing is, 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 is good anyway. Well done. <clears throat> and actually coming fourth, being top GB rider, like just have some faith. Like you've done all you can do. You can't change this now. And that's what the attitude I've got into. And more competitions now this year is that going best prepared I can be, do the best in your day. And that what, what will be, what will be. Um, and I think it's quite a nice mindset to have. Go out there, just do your best and enjoy yourself and like push yourself. You're, you're in charge of your own destiny effectively here. You have to train as hard as you can do and you have to push yourself as hard as you can do on the, on the, on the race day. And if you can look back and look back reasonably as well, I think you can beat, there's a, especially I think sports people are incredibly hypercritical. I think if 97% of it went well, we're going to look back at the 3% and go, well, that was crap. I did that badly. Um, I need to improve here. And that's just part of how I think you are as a high performer, as an elite sports person. But actually having that reasonableness, when you look back at the hindsight, though, actually reasonably, did I make all the right decisions? Could I have been in a better place? And you can look back, oh, well, I haven't, if, I'd have, if I'd have done that training session slightly differently, well, you could, well, that's your fault for not doing it then. And for me, I, that doesn't happen. Like I go and give everything that I can do on that day for that training session. And that for me is, might be my mindset now for the last 18 months. And it's obviously it's paid dividends, but it's, um, yeah, for me, it's uh, doing the best you can do, but also being reasonable and rational. I don't know if, like, I, I did a little bit of law at uni being a child surveyor. There was a, there was a phrase that really appeals to me. It's the man on the Clapham omnibus. So he's he's your he's your legal level for the reasonable man. I don't know if it's like, if it still even exists in law, but it's one of these, like, things that still remind, still remember from, like, our first law lecture when I was 18. Uh, but the man on the Clapham omnibus. So, yeah, he is your reasonable man. So, therefore, it, uh, is it reasonable that you've done the best you can do that day? There's always going to be factors. You're always going to have things that come in and knock things around. But, yeah, you have to do the best that you can do. And that's, yeah, basically what my support network have helped me get to. Well, uh, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, But still, you've, you've, you've put yourself around. You're, you're comfortable with this now. But it must have been a relief, though, to get that call and say, yeah, you're going to Tokyo. <clears throat> Yeah, it really was a relief. Like I, especially sort of, go, go back to in tw- the 2019 season, I basically decided to stop racing the track, which is obviously seen as quite a risk because like, even though it isn't said, BC is a track-based program, especially in my view. Like it's, everything's much more calculated uh, and quantifiable compared to the road. As you can see, like everything you can go, right, if you're going to do this power at this CDA in these conditions, your pursuit's going to be this. Obviously there was Finn who was getting, who was quicker than me on the pursuit and then, then Jacko came in later. Um, so there was two guys who were quicker than me on the pursuit. I was quicker than them on the road. So we took the decision just to focus on the road. The 2019 season was the best season I've ever had. I didn't finish outside the top five in a road race or, or a time trial. So rolling into 2020, when the game's going to be, uh, I was actually flying in a camp in February and I felt in great space. And obviously then, uh, then the old pandemic hit. But yeah, that was, um, I think a lot of results have backed up beforehand. And the fact, is, especially with the knowledge with the coaches and selectors, that actually the, the courses in Tokyo did suit me because it's quite technical, quite attritional. And yeah, it was it was a a relief to get that uh, email saying I was uh, I was selected. And then once again, it's I think something else we're bad at is head down and then straight back onto it. One thing we did throughout the pandemic was sticking to a plan, and almost that that what happened in Portugal. We had a crash. It was a blind and flip the plan. 
but I ended up, I'd already, already arranged to stay out for another three weeks in the Algarve and do some like a big volume block. So that's what I did. Like either we're going to be a volume block for Tokyo, find, she'll find out towards the end of the camp or a volume block just for fun. And luckily I quite enjoy riding my bike long distances over lots of hours in the hills and the mountains. <laughs> so yeah, I, it was, it was going to be good both ways. It's just having that ability to adapt, which I think everyone's ability to do that has massively changed throughout the pandemic. Yeah. I, and, um, excuse me. <clears throat> but both, both very fit and well people are looking at. Uh, so you're in Tokyo and it's the day of the road race and uh, you're about to go how take us through that day for you how how was it for you so for, for the road race I think I had loads mm. of confidence coming out of the TT so for me the TT like I I was really nervous so I probably have to go back a couple more days so the Sunday yeah. so the TT is on the Tuesday and the road race on the Sunday so on the sun on the sorry the TT is on Tuesday the road race on the Thursday and on the Sunday I had a full day off and everyone's was like oh the only like obviously it's quite aware that I was the only person on the squad who hadn't medaled. Uh, we hadn't left anybody. We'd left people at home. We probably could have medaled on the track. So yeah, it was quite a lot of pressure on me. Obviously, I'd never won a TT. Um, and yeah, and obviously I've called on that support network. I called on my psych. I called on my girlfriend. I called on my parents. I called on my mates. And there's a lot of Ben. You're in great shape. Like you've been PBing all your power numbers in to, in holding camp. Like also this thing of everybody else has got more medals. Everybody else is obviously in the same thing you were going real well in holding camp and you're only going to go better because that's just how you tend to be physiology-wise. Like, yeah, I've never had this sort of huge taper. So there's a ner- pre-race nerves. There is this whole thing about no, um, yeah, there's a whole thing about no uh, medals, uh, pressure there. Um, but then it came onto the Monday, we do a hot lap activation. So the guys have been modelling it at BC and we're like, well, if you lap in 12, in 12, about 12 minutes lap for TT, for C3, you'd probably be in the ballpark for a medal. So Stefan Virus, the guy who came second, he did uh, 35.59. So obviously 35.59, three laps, isn't that bad? The modelling is quite good. So uh, 11.59, three a lap, only 0.7 a second out. I don't think we could hold them uh, hold them to too big a uh, degree of uh, accuracy there. But anyway, within, within that sort of activation lap on the Monday, um, I actually went, I did an activation in 11.35 or something. So I went around 25, 25 seconds that without uh, without all the game skin suit without the games kit so that gave me a huge amount of confidence i knew that a couple of the people had gone sort of re- around the 12 minute but obviously i didn't let on to this um so i'd known that other people had gone around in that 12 minutes a lap so I was, I was feeling really full of confidence uh came to the came to the tt obviously warm-up went really well um and then yeah ended up winning the tt i did, had no idea how i was doing the tt usually would have like a be mic'd up and have a uh, have a follow car um but i I had no idea I was doing it in the TT. Obviously, half of the second lap, I saw Finn, who started a minute ahead of me. So I caught him in the third lap, passed him. Um, and then with about three minutes to go, looking up and seeing time to beat 35.57, and my time was 34.50 or something. I was like, well, this is really good. I've got a, I've definitely won a medal because there's two guys starting behind me. So if they both beat my time, they're going to. Came across the line and Pinky, my coach, was like, oh, well, you were 50 seconds up at, at the second lap. So we think you've won. You've got to wait two minutes. So two minutes gone past. Uh, for Paralympic champion, first ever TT, won. Yeah, amazing sensation. So I knew I had really good legs from that, especially in activations. I was going really well in holding camp. Um, and everything really, really clicked for me, especially coming into Tokyo. So I had an easy spin on the day in, in the on the Wednesday in between. And then the road race, waking up and seeing the forecast was rain. And then the, seeing it come pouring down, I was like, 
yes. I do like a bit of rain. Um, I think it's the mountain biking background. I think it's I think it's in the disability side as well. Obviously, my impairment is very much below my legs, like my lower legs. It affects sprinting and uh, that sort of like snappy, snappy racing. Whereas for me, like if you're impaired handling wise, it's just a different sort of racing. Like I don't think I don't know if people consider this, but for me, it's yet another tactical avenue to go down. That if you you can use somebody's impairment against them as a tactic as they will do to you. So for me, if somebody takes a sprint, they're probably going to beat me. However, it comes to an attritional slog over 60k, 60, 80k in the hills in the rain, I back myself pretty hard in that situation. So yeah, so we woke up and you had great legs. Um, I knew the course would suit me because it was quite attritional. Knew the technical nature would suit me. Um, but also knew that everybody was going well. So me, Jacko and Finn had had a chat beforehand uh, before we went to holding camp for a bit of, a t- bit of a pre-race tactics. Uh, we sort of knew what I was going to do. Uh, and we sort of, we did, we, we worked together. Like we didn't, weren't full team orders, but it was more a fact that if somebody attacks, you don't chase them down sort of job. Um, so I actually attacked on the third, on the th- rolling to the third lap. We just, me, Finn and Jacko, we just started counter-attacking the group. Uh, and I ended up attacking on the descent effectively. Uh, got 15 seconds at the bottom of the descent. No one decided to chase me on the climb. 40 seconds by the top of the climb and just sort of held and extended the gap from there. Um, but yeah, it comes down to being a professional athlete in that situation. When you've got a gap, you try and hold the gap as much as you can. Obviously, got a, the commissaire came to me with about two laps against so There's a GB rider chasing it 50 seconds. So obviously knew that was Finn. So I sort of, I've not rolled it back a bit. So I then stepped on the pressure to keep Finn at a minute. Um, and then, yeah, crossing the line was an amazing, um, was an amazing sensation. But yeah, it was good to win and then have Finn come in second. I think it shows sort of the, all the camaraderie we have. So Crystal finished, Crystal and Sarah in the women's C4, C5 race have finished a couple, about a minute or so ahead of us. So it was me, Crystal waited for me. I gave her a big hug. Like we went for Finn, Finn coast line. He was really happy. And then we all of us wait for Jacko to come across the line and see how he could do. And considering the man had raced five events, everything from team sprint to road race, it's pretty impressive. But he uh, still came fifth. So uh, yeah, impressive ride by that man as well. Yeah, it must have been nice to have uh, shared the podium as well with Finn standing there. Yeah, it was very nice to uh, to share the podium with teammate. It'd been nice we'd uh, got Jacko up there as well. That was the, that was the, that would have been the perfect goal. But obviously, this is sports and this is life. So um, yeah, it was it was really nice to share the podium with Finn. Like he's made some huge gains in the last couple of years as well. So yeah, we definitely want to watch for the old future, um, especially running towards Paris. So uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was great. Everything I said, everything came together. The taper, the legs, the equipment, everything really came together in the games. And it's nice for me as well to have a harder attritional course. So the, the road race is about 80k and about 1400 meters. So it took us about two hours, just over, just over like two hours five or something for me. Um, it's not usually for me, a lot of the courses are a little bit dull. They're quite flat and boring. Um, so it's nice to have an attritional course. And so far, I think every time I've got out the front of my own, I have one. And every time it's rained, I've won. So um, yeah, it's quite a positive, quite a positive like role to, to keep going. So you just like to suffer a little bit whilst you're racing. Yeah, I had to suffer a bit while you're racing, but I quite like that. So, um, yeah, that's my sort of bag. Um, so uh, coming home um, from Tokyo, how's it been? How long did it take to sink in, really, that, you know, you're a double gold medalist? It probably has and hasn't. That's a really awful answer to that question. It hasn't, it hasn't. Well, great answer there, Ben. Um, it's still pretty surreal. Like, it's, it's such a cool thing to have, but I find it, I'm just me still. Nothing's changed. I'm still me, the exact same person. I've just now got a couple of gold medals and some Paralympic wins behind me, which is quite cool. 
uh it's a bit surreal um and it's nice like it's nice to come down and just do things like i've also met yourself at a, a surgeons conference in uh, in london so that was really cool to go and talk to a different group of people um and just sort of share my experiences so it has been really busy it's been a lot of doing a lot of talks a lot of interviews uh, a, lot of, a lot of um sort of seminars and things like i did at the um future surgery done a couple of co- quite a lot of corporate talks and now it's sort of time to get back into training which is proving quite difficult I don't think a lot of people talk about sort of the, I didn't really consider this whole sort of post-Olympic blues sort of thing. I found it quite hard to get back into training, especially with goals being six months away, seven months away in May for the next race. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I really think I've only really stopped that sort of the high of the game for the last sort of three or four weeks as I've started to cool down and then get back to training. And then I think that's had a bit of a noticeable effect now in regards to sort of motivation and uh, in regards to yeah, sort of, yeah, life. It's good. I'm now, I've been a normal person. I'm a nice time to get back to being an athlete. Yeah. So um, I understand uh, recently that you're not uh, just a Paralympic champion, but you've become a charity champion as well uh, for a charity called Gain. Can you tell yes. us anything about that? So, yeah, so Gain, so my background, I caught a disease called uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome when I was 14. Um and it's how I dealt with being ill. Um, yeah, how, how I dealt with being ill, I basically ignored it. Um, it's not a very good way to deal with things. So, yeah, if you have any sort of issues, don't ignore them. Don't try and bury them because they just get heavier and heavier and heavier. And that's probably why I came to Paris Sport a lot later than I did. So during, during the games, uh, games that got in contact with me were like, oh, we, we see you've got Hadkey and Barry syndrome. Like, we wish you all the best, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, like all our members are supporting him and coming behind you. So Guillain-Barre was really rare. There's probably 2,000 cases in the UK a year. Um, so yeah, pretty good odds. We get a lottery ticket when you catch it, probably even them out a bit. Um, however, yeah, so, and it's something I've been thinking about doing for a while was getting in, back involved with Guillain-Barre's charities and sort of, I didn't even really know Gain existed. Um, so it's something that's new and I think it's very new to both of us. We're just both exploring what we can help each other with. So I'm doing, I've been doing some open days with them. I've done some talks. I've got, I'm doing a couple of phone calls with sort of younger sufferers who are, who are my sort of age, if they want to have a chat with me and basically say, well, I'm Ben. Yeah. Like it's not, you don't have to be a Paralympic champion, but just go and do what you can do, like adapt to what you can do and almost do your bloody exercises, which is what I didn't do. Um, and yeah, actually life isn't actually as crap as you think it is. Uh, yeah, it's quite, a, it's, for those who don't know, Guillain-Barre syndrome comes on incredibly quickly. So effectively, so I really missed that part out, it's quite key for quite a rare disease. So effectively, your immune system turns on your nervous system and destroys it from your extremities, so your fingers and your toes, uh, to your central nervous core. So basically, you can go from, in my case, I went from being sort of running around to being paralysed in hospital in about four days. Uh, and then there's quite a lengthy recovery process after that. So I was in hospital for five months. And you're you know, quite we young as well, weren't you? Yeah, when I was 14. So, and then on crutches, learns more about 18 months after that. So, yeah, it's a long, slow recovery after a very quick onset. Lots of things get taken from you quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, in regards to the work to the charity, I mean, we're just both sort of exploring it and seeing what we can do to help each other, really. And for me, it's just it's good getting in and talking to people who've got and had Guillain Barry syndrome and sort of sharing my experience and hearing about their experiences. And I think that really helps with the recovery, both mentally and physically. So, yeah, if I can help one person or two people through that and make them consider their life in a better place, I think that's pretty much job done. Same with the games medals. Like, for me, like we're here to help inspire people. 
I know it sounds really corny when I say this, but we are here. Like you, we look up to people who are who are champions, who are medalists, who are sports people, and therefore I do things like ask sort of obligations, which I enjoy doing. And obligations is probably the wrong word to use. It makes it sounds a bit too forced. However, like I enjoy this part of it. I just going to speak to people and talk to people and sort of get the message across that do you know what, if you're doing what you enjoy doing, you're doing it the best you can. And that's that's going to be great. Like you can do no more. Like don't get disheartened or downtrodden by stuff. Just go and do the things you're enjoying doing. Do whatever that is. Be the person you need to be. Um, and then yeah, build a support network with your family, friends, and I'll say professionals as well. But yeah, families and friends. And yeah, if that message gets spread a little bit more, then that for me is work job done. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like very like a like a really good idea. Um, and so it's probably going to be hard to top the last year. Uh, for you but what are your hopes and aims for next year so hopes next year so the thing i don't have um is a world champs jersey so i'd like to get a world champs jersey obviously <laughs> easier said than done yeah i just gotta get one of those well that's what i said about the games go and get a gold medal go get two um but yeah so for me i'd like to go and get the world uh cup leaders jersey as well um so that's uh, basically the amalgamation points across the three world cups three or four world cups in both the road race and the tt so go and get that leader's jersey and hold that for the year. That'd be quite a cool thing to go and get. And then, yeah, hopefully hopefully go and get world champs as well. So that's that goal. And obviously 2023, there's world champs in Glasgow. I'd like to go and obviously win their home world champs. Uh, and then Paris, uh, go and win there. I've got some titles to defend, but that's a long way away. Uh, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done before that. So, yeah, it's it's good. Like the same for sort of finding the, the motivation a little bit hard at the moment um but that's very much starting to come it's almost like get once you get as soon as you get out get training motivation's easy it's now just finding that sort of yeah stuff to get you back on the bike and that, that's coming back and i think you need that i think for me i've had two like two and a half months off since the games really uh, and i think i needed that like it was it was really much needed to have that full reset and to have that time to go right what what are we doing do we want to continue doing this like yeah it's good fun but there's a lot of sacrifices and choices you make i've got a career i've got a I'm quite lucky I've got a career I could go back to. And that that I'd considered that as well. But I was like, well, I've got potentially got Paris in three years, potentially LA in 2028. But for me, it's just continue whilst I've got this cool bit of enjoyment. Like at the end of the day, I get to do my hobby as my job with some of my best mates around the world. Bloody ridiculous. Like, okay, I could go into a lot more money being a chart surveyor, but it's not about that. It's about experiences. It's about the once again sounding incredibly corny, about the journey. And about just having having those experiences in life that not many people get, not many people even get to represent GB, not many people get to go to world champs, and far fewer people even get to go to a Paralympic or Olympic Games. Uh, and actually to be in that situation is incredibly special. So to keep enjoying that and just, yeah, see what happens. But yeah, goals are world champs, world champs, world champs games. Uh, easy when you say it like that. <laughs> it sounds incredibly easy when you say it like that. I mean, we'll be looking forward to interviewing once you've... Uh... Once you've got those rainbow jersey on, yeah. Hopefully. I probably wouldn't take it off. I'm sleeping in like a pair of pyjamas. And lastly, there may be people listening uh, to the show that have a passion or a dream that they're not pursuing, uh, that they're hesitant to take that leap into the unfamiliar, um, seeing as you took the leap from into the unfamiliar from being a chartered surveyor to uh, uh, a professional athlete. Do you have any tips or advice for them? Yeah, I'd say it's very easy for me to say, follow your dreams, take the opportunity and jump at it. Like it's, I, And I fully understand that it's not as easy as that. I only hear people say, oh, yeah, just go for it. Take the opportunity. Oh, you might have a family, you might have kids, you might have this and that. 
but um, which might be stopping you. However, do your utter best to try and follow this dream. Like, take do take a chance. If it involves talk to your works, even get a six month sabbatical. Talk, be open with people, sharing these dreams. I think that was what for me was one of the most profound things. Now I've actually reflected on it. I'm actually talking to people because people are like, especially if you're in a good job with good people and you've got a good like group of people around you, people be supportive of what you're doing. Um, yeah, you can go and just have a go and try it you can always come back to what you were doing before i think it's easier said than done for me saying oh, you can always come back to what you're doing before but you, there always will be opportunities and who knows like you might take an opportunity it doesn't quite doesn't go well but it opens another door to something else you really enjoy like at the end of the day we're here on this world to be sort of fulfilled and i think i'm in a lucky place where i am being fulfilled and i have the ability to think about it i think a lot of people are so busy rushing around from left, right, and centre, that you don't even get to think about your own personal fulfilment. To help others, you need to help you first. And if following your dream is to do, is part of that, I really think you need to be fulfilled in what you're doing. And that might be working in a shop or doing anything. But yeah, or starting something. But yeah, be a bit more efficient with your time. A little bit less time on social media. Keep listening to podcasts. And yeah, just talk to people about it and take any opportunity you can to follow any sort of dream to something that really interests you and it might get nowhere it might get somewhere but until you try you don't know no nope, that's good advice thank you very much well thank you very much for your time ben um it's been lovely talking to you and uh, uh hopefully we'll speak to you again next time you'll be wearing a rainbow jersey hopefully yeah. fingers crossed i do some training <laughs> all right then uh as i say that's been uh, ben watson and, and, and uh thanks very much for listening thank you You've been listening to Quicklink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news and results. You can find us across social media at Quicklink Pod, or you can contact us by emailing show at quicklinksports.com. You can support this show by using the code Quicklink when you shop with veloskin.cc for all your chamois cream and skincare needs, and also at efswheels.com where UK customers can get themselves a full set of tubeless-ready full-carbon wheels for under £500. Share the show, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Bye now.